can't I say it's so much more when love is real? It's the touch of her hand on my cheek that I feel, and I know when I lie away. Hello. Ah, one of these days I'm going to learn how to get in here without having this lead time. Anyway, it's good to be back again today. I hope the last two sessions about who am I have helped, um, that you've had fun writing poems about um, different aspects of yourself and who you are. Well, today's subject is going to be change. And I think it's important because if we're asking who we are, and we ask that question, uh, who was I when I was 10? Who was I when I was 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70? However old you are. Then we have to talk about change, don't we? Uh, what is it that uh, affects us? What makes us change from day to day, year to year, decade to decade? You're going to have an exercise about that uh, at the end. but uh, And I'm going to read a couple poems. And we'll tell a few stories. And I want you to think about the changes in your life. We've all had some really big changes, but we all have tiny little day-to-day changes. And, and what is it that, that you feel has affected you? You know, when you think about change, and, and we, we talked about this nature-nurture thing, you know, what are we born with? We're born with the temperament. Then we all have different parents. We have different things that happen to us. The whole concept of change, isn't it, is about nurture. We're given something, genetics, a temperament. But how does change, how does that nurture affect what was given us? Some people it affects it very little and others it affects it a lot. And um, from time to time it affects it differently. That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to start with a poem from my book, which is called Between Tahlequah and Tulsa, my poetry book. It's not a workbook because it talks about changes in my life. And we're going to go through a couple of those. And and maybe you can think about those kinds of changes in your life. The interesting thing about this is that there, again, there is this thread, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time, the thread is music, um, that goes through my lifetime as it both changes me and stays the same. So, perched on the living room rug, banging brass pots and pans, I played percussion to my dad's records, a mellow beat to Benny Goodman's jazz, muffled timpani for the pines of Rome, and a tinny tap of the spoon for the mules as they happily trod on the trail of Graffet's Grand Canyon Suite. I added my angel voice to church hymns before I could read, and treasured sitting on dad's organ bench on special nights at the elegant St. Paul house, watching his stocking feet reach for the bass pedals and his muscled hands play his Hammond organ, at the same time conducting his band of bone and sax, keyboard and drum. Afternoons, we listened to the radio for the Lone Ranger's French horn rills, that signaled the galloping horses, and Sundays to the Mormon Tabernacle Choir's community of voices. And when the music entered my dad, his whole body sighed. And sometimes, when it was so beautiful, the hairs of his arms would rise in salute. 
he chose the horn for my beautiful sister, but I chose trombone for myself and sat with the boys blowing the best notes in Stars and Stripes Forever. Not the piccolo solo or trumpet fanfare, but the bombastic counter melody composed by the grandfather of John Philip Sousa III, whose big band my dad arranged music for and played with before the war sent him home. Later, when we couldn't afford to buy a good instrument for me, I gave up trombone for a folk guitar I redeemed with S&H green stamps. Good enough for strumming the three chords required for Ain't Gonna Study War No More. In college, I bought my koa wood guitar made by a company called Harmony, and I hung it around my neck with the same blue strap I still use, covered with white woven peace signs. It made a muffled but sweet sound when I sang for my babies, when my students picked it up and strummed, this land is your land, when I wrote a song as my lover lay almost dying, as I sang it to him lying there, as he squeezed my hand, when I play my son's bluegrass music to celebrate our lives, when I join my granddaughter in singing, take me riding in the car, Music has been my native language. Even before I crawled out mom's window, a young girl with Mary Travers hair onto that Valley Creek rooftop and sang Blowing in the Wind to the century-old maples. All right, so I thought I'd go through each of these changes. You know, when I was a kid, I was making my own music with pots and pans. I bet some of you did that. I know my kids did. And it said I sang hymns in church before I could read. You know, the ones that we sang week after week after week. I sang them. And the liturgy in my church, I knew it before I could read. It was all sung by heart. Uh, Music was always there. And you could tell from this poem that my dad was a professional musician. He was classically trained and played jazz in nightclubs and had his own band. And it was so special for me, once a year on my birthday, to go and sit on his organ bench while he played whatever song I asked him to play. And the band played behind us. That was so fun and so special. So how did that change me? How did how did that make me a different person from all the other kids in the neighborhood that I grew up with. Well, my dad had been in John Philip the Sousa III's big band in the 1930s before he came home from the war, uh, because the war started. So I had a dad who had been around the country and had stories about all the different places he'd been, or a few stories anyway. I wasn't as rooted to that place in the valley as the other kids were. I knew there was another world out there. And music brought me there because jazz didn't come from Minnesota. It came from New Orleans and other places like that. Classical music was played in Minnesota, but didn't come from there, did it? It it had a completely different world than that jazz did. Completely world different world than that folk music 
when I got that guitar. Completely different world from those marches I played with my trombone. Now, I played other stuff. <laughs> Our band was a concert band, so I played other things with my trombone. But I loved, loved, loved playing Stars and Stripes Forever. And my husband knows that even now when I hear it, especially on the 4th of July, I sing the trombone part and just revel in it. I also do the same thing with the Star Spangled Banner. If you're standing next to me somewhere and we're supposed to sing the Star Spangled Banner, I sing the trombone part. What can I say? It, it changed me. I see the world differently because I had all those different aspects of music. And later, I brought that guitar to college and people looked at me differently because I played folk music. I played it to my kids. We had a special day once a week where we got together and I always played guitar. And they learned folk music that I learned when I was young. And then it says, and then I play my son's bluegrass mass. He's a professional musician, has a PhD in music composition and is a wonderful musician and has written incredible music that changes my life and the lives of other people. And finally, I have this granddaughter who I love to sing with, especially in the car when I pick her up and she's in the back and I'm in the front and we sing songs together. How does that change all of us? Is there something like that in your family that was special to you? Maybe it was a kind of food that was special to you that you brought through, you know, the, the generations and it changed you because it made you different from other people. I'm Swedish American and so is my husband, but I didn't really eat Swedish food, but boy, my husband did. His grandparents came from Sweden and, and he taught me all the Swedish food and how to make it and what it's supposed to taste like and these wonderful flavors that, that other people don't know unless you have the same heritage. So think about what heritage you have that's different than others and how did that change you? Did it change you? Did you see the world a different way? How did you accommodate the rest of the world? If you grew up with German food, how do you relate to Mexican food? You know, what does that mean to you? Do, do you see it as ethnic? Do you see it as American? Wow, we're in America, so we eat anything. Anyway, I want you to think of something from your family that may have changed you. It was something there but it made you different from everybody else. And that's not what you inherited. I don't mean that. I'm saying something in your life. Um, you know, when you raise kids, you think that you have a lot of influence on them. But as you raise them, you realize you're only one of the small influences on them. And I want you to think about not only your own children, because you may not have any, but think about you as a child. And especially as a teenager, when did other people start influencing you maybe more than your parents did? Maybe there was a teacher who had a tremendous influence on you or a neighbor. There's actually um, a study that I read that says that children who grow up with everything wrong, <laughs> you know, the environment says that you should not succeed at all, that, uh, you know, 
nothing is valued that you you really need you know they don't value reading they don't give you the right food they don't give you attention children in those environments can actually make it can actually succeed if there is one one person in their life who cares about them and lets them know (laughs) lets them know that they care you know it could be an aunt a grandma a grandpa a neighbor a pastor a teacher some one person. Now that's nurture. If we look for that one person that can help you change your mind of who you are, then I am worthy of becoming something. You only need one. It's amazing. That's what the studies say. Okay. Now I want you to think about all the different decades of your life. What were the changes that were made? When you were in, you know, grade school, what were the changes that were made when you were in junior high school? Wow. I've heard about some studies that say that (laughs) the main thing we learn in junior high school is how to lie. Wow. That's a difficult one, isn't it? If that's true, then in the next decade, do we learn how to stop lying? When do we figure out what's normal? When do we figure out what is our moral authority in our own self? Each decade teaches us something different, doesn't it? And some of those decades have a lot of positive things in them. Some of those decades have all kinds of negative things in them. When I was a teenager, my father died. My grandfathers died. My uncles died. My aunts died. It was such a horrendous decade for me that I stopped going to funerals. I I don't care who died. I wouldn't go. I couldn't go. Couldn't face them anymore. Even wrote a poem about, should find that, wrote a poem about gladiolus. You know, glads, those, those tall flowers that are at every funeral. I started hating them. And I love flowers. So how did the next decade help to counteract that. And here's another example. I grew up scared to death thunderstorms. Why is that? Well, my house burned down from a thunderstorm, from being hit by lightning. But even before that, it was hit once and uh, we were all sitting in the living room and, and, and it hit and uh, didn't burn down, but we had to have a lot of things fixed because of it. And then it finally burnt. I was scared to death of thunderstorms. How did I get over that? To live in the state of Oklahoma now, where the weather is wild weather, and everybody who lives here knows how to predict tornadoes. (laughs) Um, And it's fun. How do you get over those changes? And each decade of your life, there are different changes, positive ones and negative ones. Each of them survive. Well, we know that brains tend to remember the negative ones more than the positive ones. So we have to kind of overcome that somehow, don't we? Well, when I go to workshops, I quite often give uh, this exercise, and I'm, I'm going to give it to you in a minute. It's an exercise written by Kenneth Koch. And um, it's really simple, and people can do it really easily. And I'm going to read an example of it in one of my books, in my uh, Fevers, Feeling Verses for Teens. Uh, it's in this book. It's actually in a couple other of my books, too. It's in, it's in the Bully book as well. 
But this exercise goes, I used to be, but now I am. So it kind of, you need to figure out a metaphor of what I used to be and what I am now. And this is one that I wrote a long time ago about myself. I used to be a wild crocus, rough-edged, tough to be the first up in spring, fed by melting snows, growing timidly in pale violet hues between rock clusters on exposed hillsides. It was hard to find me. You had to explore, but I bloomed anyway, whether you found me or not. But now I am a domestic growing in your garden. My crocus color is bright. I am still the first to bloom after the snow, but hybridizing has smoothed my edges. My color now shouts, here I am. Didn't even know I was going to wear this color today. My color shouts, here I am. I used to be, but now I am. How is that different? And I want to tell you a story. This was, um, I was a poet in the schools and I was working with a class of, uh, it was a special class of, um, these were all teenagers who had already had children, babies already. And um, I guess there was a group of about 10 of them and they sat around this round circle. And I asked them, I said, think about what did you used to be and what are you now? And most of them came out with positive things, what I am now. But there was one girl who had her face down on the table. I didn't think that she was even listening. I didn't think she was participating. Uh, Actually, I thought she was sleeping. But when we went around the table and we came to her, the teacher said, I saw you writing something. Can you share with us what you were writing? And she put her head up teeny bit and she said, no. And then her friend, the neighbor said, can I read it for you? And she said, okay. So the neighbor read it. And this is what it said. I used to be a beautiful flower, but now I am a stem because I am broken. Wow. Everybody just went silent. I mean, this woman was a poet, a 15-year-old poet who hadn't said anything for two weeks since she'd come back from having her baby. And all of a sudden she says, I feel like I'm a broken stem. And everybody around her praised her. And of course, I told her that, I told her she was a poet. It was wonderful. Wonderful. So anyway, that's what I want you to write. I used to be, but now I am. As a matter of fact, you could even write it for every decade of your life. Uh, used to be a little kiddo. But by the time I was 10, I was blah, blah, blah. When I was 12, I used to be, but wow, by the time I got to be 19, I was up or down. Did I go up or down in my feelings? You could do it for each decade of your life. Of course, you don't have to. It depends on how ambitious you are. You could just do it for right now. I used to be, but now I am. And then if you come out like that girl did with something really sad, really negative, I'm, I'm, I'm a broken stem. I said to her, I don't want you to stay there. I want you to write, I am now, 
but I will be. And think of the future. What can I be? I am a broken stem now, but I will be. And that's what I want you to think about. And this is how we're dealing with the subject of change. Because with every change, we change. And it could be for the better or for the worst. But we still have the future, don't we? I am now, but I will be. And I'm going to leave you with that today. And I hope that you come up with some really, really fun and um, enlightening, enlightening metaphors. Because that's what this is, of course. It's a metaphor of something that seems like my, your life. So until then, we'll see you next time. Bye. So much more when love is real. It's the touch of her hand on my cheek that I feel. And I know when I lie awake, my every care he'll take. And I say it's so much more.